Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the LeadX Show, helping you to stand out and to get ahead. Today, we are broadcasting live to our Facebook audience and podcast listeners. If you want to be notified when we go live on Facebook, just open up your Facebook app, go to LeadX Life, like the page and turn on notifications. And of course, today's the weekly wrap up show. So we actually take our time. We get to rant about anything we want on topic or off and we answer your questions. And of course, I'm joined today by LeadX editor, Tara Millette. Hey there, Tara. Hello, Kevin, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. We were just talking before the show that, um, I know you were saying you were hitting the snooze button a little bit this morning, and I jumped out of bed because I had to get Natalie off to school, but like, I'm just crushed with these little nagging to-dos and things popping up, and I feel like I haven't gotten in the zone yet. Oh, yeah. It always takes me a little while, but this morning was especially hard. Just like, eh, it can take another 15 minutes, right? Another <laughs> minutes, and then before you know it, it's 830 and you got to jump out of bed and get started. But um, yeah, I don't think there's any shame in that. Everyone has an off day. You just go with it, roll with it as best you can. Off day, or in my case, sometimes an off season because winter does hit me hard sometimes. And it's not even officially like that cold. I mean, it's not, you know, January, February, but already when it's dark out and a little colder, eh. Kind of brings me That's down. That's the worst. Yeah. And it makes me want to eat. When it hits 5 30 and it's dark out, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, it's dinner time. Let's start eating all day. And it's really hard to get out of that kind of hibernation mode. I was gonna say getting ready for uh for hibernation. But um hey, did you oh, see yeah. on the the news? This is part of our randomness, that Da Vinci painting that went for four hundred and fifty million dollars. I wanna know who bought that. Who's got I that kind of scratch? I know that's so that's the first thing is because nobody knows yet who bought it. There were four bidders all the way up. This is half a billion dollars. And there were four people. Uh, no, there's four people on the phone and one in person all wow. bidding against each other. So there's like five multi huge billionaires bidding for this painting. And um, a friend of mine, he suggested on Facebook, he's like, um, Bill Gates has long had a fascination with Da Vinci. It's got to be Bill Gates, you know, so the first or second richest man. Jeff Bezos has been the richest lately. And then like someone else said, yeah, but Bill Gates is so cheap. He's like a notoriously cheap. He wouldn't spend that kind of money on a painting. And I almost wonder if like there's that billionaire, uh, he, he, he owns all the casinos, Steve Wynn. And he's known to, you know, he likes art and all that. And I'm thinking maybe he bought it to make it like an attraction because they say they spend like these crazy hundreds of millions to get the, I don't know, like two magicians and a tiger. You know, they build their own arena in Vegas and book them for like three or four years to get people into the casino. Maybe he figured, eh, $450 million, I'll put it in its own, you know, museum area and get Vegas visitors. How about, I'm just guessing, but that's a good I theory. I wonder right? how long would it take you to break even on that investment? But, oh. you know, it's funny. I also read on that subject that that particular painting um, had once been sold for $59 because someone thought it was a reproduction. They thought Amazing. it was a fake. Isn't and then they found out that it was the original and then now it's worth $450 million. It's insane. I mean, art is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it, right? Right. 
So right. that always creates a really weird dynamic in that world, I feel like. And I, I find this fascinating because it's from a um, like a persuasion standpoint. What you said is so true. You see in art, it's kind of like, well, it's just whatever someone's willing to pay. And there's that artist, like I know nothing about art. So people are going to be laughing at me like, oh, Kevin just said the wrong thing. But there's that <laughs> artist Banksy that supposedly nobody knows who Banksy really is. And if he uh, or she <laughs> spray paints on a wall, graffiti, people will like knock the wall down to get it because it could be worth millions. And um, as like a stunt, one of the things Banksy did was uh, there were a whole bunch of Banksy pieces of art, paintings, drawings, whatever. And they went on the street in New York and made like a stand on the sidewalk. And some old guy was sitting there like, you know, selling art for 10 bucks or whatever. And only one person all day came by and they bought an original Banksy for $10. And it's now like, that's worth a million dollars, that Banksy. And the same thing, if it had been like framed with the word Banksy on it in a gallery, it would have been millions of dollars. And yet nobody was going to pay anything <laughs> off the street. So anyway. no, it's so true. Like context matters, you know, and and it can be confusing sometimes to know because sometimes art you consider it. Oh, if it's in a museum, then that makes it art. But that's not right. always the case. And uh, I like Banksy, though. He's uh, if it's a he, I'm, I'm, I think I think they've confirmed that it's a man. But there's also a story that he was on a train and a young man uh, picked up something that fell for an older woman. And then he just drew a few napkin sketches and gave it to the kid. And now they're worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So oh, wow. interesting, interesting guy. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really crazy. And then I was actually looking at that story and then I like stumbled on, um, we always start the lead X show by asking our guests about a failure story. And, um, New York times has an article. Uh, it's called, if anybody wants to Google it on campus, failure is on the syllabus. And apparently Smith college, which is you know, one of these liberal colleges up in Massachusetts, they now have a course called Failing Well. And um, Professor Rachel Simmons teaches it. And they felt that everyone has such this, uh, even the students had this feeling like they had to be perfect and the grades had to be perfect and no one would ever admit to making a mistake and people would fall into depression if they get a low grade or something. So they started this whole course on failure, you know, like, and part of it is, you know, this idea of like the uh, failure resume. And so all the professors and other students just started almost like bragging about their epic failures. And I failed this class and I flunked out here, but now I'm doing this. And um, I thought it was just neat because, you know, we've been harping on this failure thing for a while. And uh, I told Jackie to try to get the professor onto, you know, booked onto our shows so we can ask more about it. Oh, that's so exciting. That would be awesome, actually. I love that idea, by the way. That and teaching people, you know, more life skills, adult life skills. Like, I would love a tax course when I was younger, you know, yeah, how yeah. to you know, how to pay rent, how to do a, how to complete a background check, you know, whatever, those little things that you kind of stumble through when you're older and you're like, why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of the same approach with failure that if you kind of learn that it's nothing to be ashamed of, I think you'd have just a much easier time of things as you go along. Yeah. I, I think I was just making fun of recently the whole concept. And I think there's a book called adulting, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's true. You do need it. Cause exactly what you said. I mean, where else, like, you're not going to get that stuff anywhere. So. Oh yeah. I failed upwards a little bit with a lot of those details. Just, I was like taxes. <laughs> oh, like, oh, all right. I guess we'll just do it like this. I don't know. It's well, hard. Why did you tell so me I needed details. to send you money instead of sending me this nasty letter? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, geez. But no, it's so true. It's uh, those little things that uh, kind of slip through the cracks that you kind of just stumble your way through later on. Could have yeah, used a class. Right. Could have used a class. <laughs> Uh, I know we're going to try to answer some questions and see if Facebook land has any questions for us, but do you want to do the iTunes review of the week? Sure. I actually have two this week. Um, I did a bit of digging because uh, I wanted to go back a little further because I think I missed some peeps. So going back a little bit. So I've got two. One is from Kindred716. Um, and Kindred says, as a small business owner, the information Kevin discusses is extremely valuable and helpful. I feel motivated listening to better ways to be a leader. I'm thankful to have this information as a podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for making this business information so easily available. Isn't that nice? It's very nice. That's great. So I feel sweet. appreciated. Yeah, it's good. See, now your day's already turning around. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> actually. Shower you with compliments. <laughs> <laughs> that works every time. <laughs> That's what the show really is, folks. It's just me complimenting Kevin, getting him That's back. Right. I want all the <laughs> listeners to know flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> there we go. I like it. Uh, and the second one is from Elise and Benito Flores. And they say, thank you for your leadership. My husband and I are enjoying all the little tidbits we learned from you and your guests. Nice, short, nice. sweet, and simple. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Kindred716 and Elise and Benito, please reach out to us at info at leadx.org and we'll send you a t-shirt or perhaps a mug uh, as a little thank you for leaving those uh, great iTunes reviews. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I again, I really, we're joking. I really do appreciate it all of the feedback, you know, certainly the compliments, but also the constructive criticisms, which also come in. It has, you know, made us, made the show uh, a lot better. So thanks for everybody that subscribed, left a rating on iTunes. Um, don't forget, you should also go to leadx.org where you're going to see our brand new homepage, including every day we have a new free training video of the day from authentic leadership to how to run a meeting to time management. I mean, we have dozens of, of courses. Every day is a new free course. And you can always go to leadx.org and click on the events tab to see the upcoming live webinars. So not every single week, but most Fridays we do uh, a live webinar. I think we are doing, um, well, this is uh, for our live audience. We're doing two tomorrow. I'm doing one on productivity and then we have another one on on recruiting. So we have a variety of topics and just uh, sign up so you guys know when uh, when those are coming. There's always a little something for everyone on that events tab for sure. All right. Are we ready to just dive into questions now? Yes, we are. And Facebook friends, don't forget, feel free to uh, type any questions or comments in. We can read them on the air. I know, um, Tara, we have Matthew Walker again joining us. And uh, Kaoru, these are becoming our regulars. Um, Kaoru's coming out to Philadelphia in, I'm going to forget the date off the top of my head, March-ish, I think. And um, I've blocked the date because maybe we can get a whole lead X party. You know, everybody in the uh, Philadelphia area or anyone who wants to fly to Philadelphia, uh, maybe we can do a little, little meeting up of uh of listeners and friends oh i love that i love Cairo. she's good people all right so first question is from david uh and it says uh, my biggest challenge is finding how to say no to people without them feeling undervalued i manage around 60 people and i feel as though i need to be available for them to approach me with their issues however those can i have just five minutes requests really eat into my time 
<laughs> That's perfect. For yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And whenever um, we do the research, we ask people, what are the biggest time killers at work? It's usually a tie between email and meetings. And when it comes to meetings, it's generally the got a minute, which is never a minute. They're always lying to you about that part. And sorry, <laughs> <laughs> David, what jumps out at me, first of all, you say I manage around 60 people. I sure hope you don't directly manage 60 people because um, no wonder you are feeling the stress and overstrained and you probably can't lead them and develop them uh, as well as you could. Now, I'm assuming you probably manage six to 12 people and then those people manage the rest. Uh, if you're not doing that, that might be a better structure for everybody. And if you do have that one layer of management, remember, ideally, if someone's knocking on your door for that got a minute, try to redirect them to their immediate supervisor, not on anything that really needs your your input or if, they're ha if they've been stonewalled, but you don't wanna undercut the authority or even just developmental experience of having those two people uh, work together. And while I say, like, I'm, I don't suggest that you close your open door uh, completely, I don't think you need to say no completely. I often say, you know, uh, close your door, open your calendar, meaning think about scheduled office hours. Then they can either be officially scheduled on your calendar or even just send out the message like, hey guys, uh, in the spirit of trying to be more productive and helping you as much as possible, I heard this advice from some weird guy named Cruz and he said, <laughs> You guys can only tap on my door in the afternoon, but the mornings are for my productivity. And you can pick whatever's right. Maybe it's the last hour of every day. Maybe it's only on Fridays. Maybe it's all day except the lunch hour, you close the door and get your work done. I don't know, like whatever's right for you, but rather than just, hey, come tap on my door anytime, I'm here for you, try to redirect them and then try to limit the hours that uh, that they can do that. So I don't know, what do you think, Tara? All this not, uh, knock, knock, knocks. No, I know this is, you know, you have close your open door policy, and I know that that's an important element to, to kind of leading efficiently. But my first instinct, and I was I was curious what you would say, because I, I'm guessing it probably wouldn't be great, is to ask people if they can email you the problem, if possible. But I wonder if that would just clog up your email. If that's the second mm. biggest grievance at work, then now you're just clogging up your email. But I did I did think that, you know, setting aside one day with like an hour or two to actually just have people come in, uh, that that's probably the best way. Because then they know they can come. And then the little things during the week that they might otherwise, you know, come right. and knock in on your door and bug you with, that might kind of go by the wayside. They might say, oh, well, it's not worth taking up this time right. on Friday. Right. Um, so I think that's definitely the right way to go. But I wasn't sure what you thought about emails. Maybe that would be well, worse. No, I, I, well, personally, I like it because I'm such a task-driven person <laughs> that I yeah. can read the email faster, the issue faster than having someone walk in and explain it live. And generally, I can type the answer out. And like, it sounds cold-hearted, but with well, the reason why those got a minutes are never a minute is there's a little bit of chit chat, you know, a little small talk, and then you stray down to other issues and you explore it. So I like email on issues that can be handled uh, pretty quickly. If it's going back and forth, back and forth, then that's better live. Um, I think it's more about the culture of the organization. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're all remote, we use Basecamp, so we type out a lot of stuff which we've even learned, like we need to come up with sort of a way to make sure we're communicating clearly. Um, so it's just sort of if, if the culture, they use a lot of email or messaging, I think that's great. I mean, it's better 
then coming in through the door for everybody, I would think. Yeah, that sounds pretty good too. I just was, I was worried David's just going to get flooded with like 20 emails a day if I suggested that outright. So uh, there's a, there's a warning there too, David. So with a grain of salt, I think on that one. Uh, All right. Next question is from Linda and she says, I'm having difficulty starting my internet marketing business because I have too much information and don't know much. So I keep collecting more information rather than taking action. Don't know if I'm too fearful or too overwhelmed. I start the day determined and energized, but somehow by 3 p.m. all I've done is check email. I sure could use your help. Yeah, Linda, congratulations on you know thinking about the future, the desire to be an entrepreneur, and I do think many people will use preparation as a form of procrastination. And Mm. I think you're on the right track of of saying, you know, am I too fearful or too overwhelmed? You're already asking the right questions. You know, are you using yet another course, yet another book as a form of procrastination? Um, Perfectionism. See, this is more me. It's like I feel like I have to get it all done right on day one. So I study, 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 and I, you know, it takes me forever to launch it. And entrepreneurship these days, it's all about the lean methodology where they say, get to market as quickly as possible with your, your minimum viable product, your MVP. And very quickly, you'll find out, is there any demand for what you have or not? And uh, I can't remember, it was the LinkedIn founder, Tara, I think, who said, you know, if you have uh, if you're not embarrassed by what you have shipped, he was talking about software, you've shipped yeah. too late. <laughs> so, um, yes, I mean, I think, Linda, it's it's uh, in Internet marketing, it's kind of notorious for this. And I've spoken to a lot of the well-known Internet marketers, and I kind of cringe because they will say, um, like they call them, uh, not saying, Linda, you are one, but there are a lot of what they call seminar junkies out there, people who – they want to feel like they're an entrepreneur. They want to feel like there's hope. They like that, like it gives them an energy boost. And instead of actually doing it, they put a thousand dollars on that credit card and go to that two day conference with a lot of clapping and music and visioning and friends high fiving and validating each other. And then they go back home and study their notes and make more vision boards and plan. And then a new guru shows up with a must-see conference, you know, and then they put another thousand dollars credit card and they go to that conference or buy that course. And, you know, I've, I've heard many of the experts out there call them seminar junkies where mm. never going to be entrepreneurs. They just keep wanting the next seminar. And it kind of makes me, ugh, you know, feel bad to hear them called that because like, nothing wrong. Like there's worse ways to spend money to feel good. I've probably could list Absolutely. a few I've known, but um, anyway, but I just think like to, to know that the people you're helping, you're not really helping to achieve that end goal. So Linda, I mean, like go for it, like launch that website, launch that product, do that webinar, do that e-blast, whatever it is, just get it going. And um, I have, failed at everything I've ever started. I just start to get it a little better, better, better. So it won't be really good at first and just be okay with that. Back to the whole, you know, be okay with uh, failure that we started on. And it's not failing when you don't give up, like just start it and then just keep course correcting along the way. That's awesome. It's actually really interesting. I When I first read this, my first instinct, Kevin, was to talk about um, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. Uh, 
You know, that was kind of because I, I relate to, to Linda's issue, right? There are so many times I can count on probably two hands and two feet how many times I've taken on a big project or wanted to take on a big project. And because it's so vast and because there's so many little steps to take before you do anything big, uh, you kind of get paralyzed because you're not sure what first step you should take. Um, so when I first read Linda's question, that was that was where I was coming from with it. And the thing that helps me with that is setting really small bite-sized goals every day. And I start really small. Like I'm talking, you have tons of information, tomorrow you're gonna read one article that you didn't get through. That's your thing for the day. And then you put it in a folder on your desktop under research or under you know things to do or under ideas or whatever. And then slowly as you go through it, before you know it, a week or two to three weeks maybe, you've organized all the information you've gathered and you've got a really great foundation to start from. Um, and so I think it's a, to me, I, I get the sense it's a forest for the trees situation maybe. But, you know, checking your email, that's not bad. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> but I would say set a really small concrete goal and put it in your calendar or whatever you use to kind of keep track of your days um, and do them. Do them really small because if you, if you do them too big, you're going to just check your email again. It's going to feel too overwhelming. But as you chisel away a little bit every day, suddenly that big old mountain doesn't seem quite so tall. Um, so that's kind of where I was coming from. But I thought it was I so interesting because you might be right. It might be a bit of a preparation. No, I, job. I think you balance that out there. Cause I was, you know, she was saying, don't know if I'm too fearful or too overwhelmed. I was looking more at the fearful and all that stuff. And, but the overwhelm, it, I think that's great advice. I mean, chunk it down. You know I me, mean? I like scheduling things and just mm -hmm. chip away at it. Cool. Great. Uh, and the next one is from Ali. This one's actually from Instagram. Is this our first Instagram question? I think it might be. This is our first Instagram <laughs> question. That's right. Yay. We're getting lean and mean people. Uh, all right. This is from Ali and he says, um, I'm a bachelor degree student and I want to quit university and make money. My heart isn't in university. I want to do something interesting, which is going to change my life. I have this kind of desire, which scares me sometimes when I think of it further. The problem is I don't know what to do, where to start or what business I should be in. I loved your reading of that, Tara. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could feel feel the the struggle Tara what, what would you what would you say to uh, to Ollie he's in school his heart's not in it wants to be an entrepreneur make some money can you well, relate you know, this one yeah this one hits home <laughs> <laughs> um, for anyone who doesn't know I studied art history and English literature for about two years in university and I'd done a college uh, kind of sort of degree before then in theater workshop and I realized when I was doing art history and English lit that I just wasn't happy. I didn't feel passionate. I wasn't meeting people. I wasn't interacting. I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do. And that's when I decided I'm going to go to New York, go to a conservatory and train in acting. And in a lot of ways, I don't regret that at all. But then I graduated during the 2008 economic crisis. And I'm sad to say it, but the, the world has not recovered fully enough yet. So for me, it was there's still a bit of scar tissue with that decision a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm happy with my choices in life. I'm happy with where I am today. But I will say this, um, about three quarters, I think it is, uh, and please feel free to connect, collect, uh, correct me rather, anyone out there who sees differently, but um, about three quarters of people don't end up in the industry that they study. So to my mind, um, it might be worthwhile to look at 
what you're studying in university and reconsider if you want to change your major, take on a minor, um, do something a little different, get some uh, get into some clubs, maybe because, um, you know, I really wish I'd stayed and just done it in some ways. And I would argue that this big, scary dream that you have, which I think is fantastic, you should feel passionate and a little scared and intimidated by the things you want. I think that's great. But you need a foundation for whatever it is. If you want to start a business, a business degree is going to be great. If you want to, you know, be a fisherman and have your own boat, an economics degree is going to help with that too, you know. Um, so while university might not feel fun or worthwhile now, think of it as a huge foundation for what you might want later. Um, it's a nice step to take to, to kind of be able to take on your dream with a little bit more knowledge. So that's that's kind of where I, I don't want to crush your dreams, Ollie, but <laughs> I'm just saying. Take the time to consider your options. You're in university right now. You're learning and learning is never a waste. That's what my mom always used to say. You learn something, it's not a waste. So mom is very keep smart. learning. Yeah, she is. She is. Um, so to my mind, I would say just look into your university a bit more. Find Maybe you're just not in the right major right now and you need to find something that really gets you engaged. That's where I'm coming from. I, well, first of all, I love your answer. Love your perspective. Uh, my own two cents on it is that for, on the one hand, like I, so I have three kids, you know, all teenagers, first one's in college, second one will go next year. And I've told them even when they were young, that school is overrated and they shouldn't <laughs> sacrifice stress. Really stepping on my point here, Kevin. <laughs> no, no, but I'll come back to it. They shouldn't okay. sacrifice health, stress, sleep, um, because I wanted them to be well-rounded. So both happy mm -hmm. and like socially developed. So like I was giving them the advice from like, I grew up, I was all about, I had to get straight A's. And so <laughs> I was total nerd boy. Couldn't, you know, still socially awkward, non-conference, like horrible. <laughs> I'm scarred. I had a 4.0, but I'm scarred. Um, no, so, but, so my kid and my oldest, when she went off to college, I said to her, listen, Amanda, you, you were a 4.0 student. You're a straight A student in high school. If you get straight A's in college, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> like yeah. you, you, you're not living enough, right? Like there's other yeah, reasons. Yeah. So to support your point, Tara, like, look, you know, there's all those famous examples of people who have dropped out of college and they're billionaires, Gates, Zuckerberg, all these people. So whether you stay in college or not, Ali, like that doesn't matter the success of the rest of your life. Um, and so like, I don't feel like you will fail in the future if you don't get your degree. However, I will support Tara and say, and it's why I want my, my kids to go to, to college is it can be a great four or five years of your life. Um, it doesn't get less stressful out of college. So to have fun, to make friends, to explore, you know, explore different people. I like I said clubs, activities, uh, different ways of thinking, different subjects. If you don't like the subject you're studying, study something else. There's the famous uh, Steve Jobs commencement speech where he talks about um, he just took classes that he enjoyed. I don't think he officially took them. He like showed up and just audited them in like <laughs> his calligraphy class that hey, not many jobs hiring, not many people hiring calligraphy artists these days, jobs. Well, he says that class is what gave him the inspiration for the first Mac fonts, which was a really mm -hmm. big breakthrough. So you never know where this stuff is going to inform your future life. And if you're interested in entrepreneurship, there's no reason why you can't be an entrepreneur while you're in school. 
uh, everybody's got a side hustle these days. Even people with full-time jobs have side hustles. And so to be a student and to have some of that time flexibility, some of the, the resources around you, professors, students, et cetera, to start working on your entrepreneurial idea, I think that's the best of both worlds. Um, aside from the college part, uh, Tara, the only other thing I was going to say to Ali is, you know, if when he says, um, I don't know what to do or where to start or what kind of business I should be in, I always counsel don't focus on like what is it that you're selling or offering or whatever. First, think about who do you want to help? Uh, you know, the business people would say, what's the market? Like who, what's the market you're going to address? I just like it to be more like, who do you want to help the most? You know, is it big companies, little companies or individual people? Is it uh, old 50 year old guys, uh, young 30 uh, year old women? Like, you know, who, who is it that you want to help? And, because the key to business is really understanding your audience, your customer, your buyer, like inside and out. And the more you niche it, it's making it small, you know, to begin with, the better. You can always add after that. And so no matter what it is you think you want to offer, whether it's fancy consulting services or Ali, maybe you play guitar and people are always asking your advice about how to play the guitar better or whatever. Great. You could sell guitar lessons. You could sell guitars and equipment. Like there's all kinds of things that you can sell or offer and add, but you will stand out if like you're the best person in your area for, you know, old executives who want to relive youth and learn to be a rock star, you know, and that's who you go after. That's who you target. That's your market. Or maybe it's, seven-year-old kids who are learning for the first time. So that's it. If you're thinking about what the business is, who do you want to serve? And then whatever your passion is will come, you know, behind that. That's so great. I love that. And it's so true that, you know, life is weird. And Ali, if you're in university, you're, you're probably pretty young. You know, you have plenty of time to make money. There's no rush right now. Just try and explore as much as you can. You know, don't put so much pressure on yourself, I think. Um, but you never know what you're going to I mean, you didn't think you'd end up, you know, where you are, I'm sure. I've so, used I've used none of uh, I've used none of my undergraduate stuff I mean, <laughs> at, at all. History and economics major. I, I enjoyed it. I like to think it's going to help me to think, but it's certainly not uh, a field that, you know, we've, that we've been in. Yeah. We talked about art and my art history, you know, dalliance didn't really come in handy. <laughs> I didn't really say anything. At least not well. yet. Not yet. Exactly. And that's the point, right? You, you never might, know. You might sell the next half a billion dollar painting someday. I did at one point want to sell uh, work. I wanted to have like a gallery and sell works yeah. and be the, yeah, it'd be cool. That'd still be cool. a fantasy of mine in there. That'd and cool. who knows? I might still do it, right? <laughs> we have, uh, <laughs> Tara, we have a comment um, from our Facebook Live audience. Great. Uh, yeah, from uh, Matthew saying, is the goal solely to make money? And I think this is an important point again. I mean, we touched on it with that audience. But uh, the if you, like, go on Twitter, do the horrible thing and go on Twitter and just, like, search on on my name – you'll find these quotes that I've said that people now turn into memes and pass around. And, you know, the, one of the more popular ones is that, you know, light, life is about making an impact, not making an income. That's the thing that gets passed around. But I often, the follow-up is that ironically, the more of an impact you make, the more of an income, you know, you'll make. And I think, you know, uh, in my twenties, similar to Ali, 
I wanted to start a company and it primarily was about making money and it wasn't for the sports cars and things. It was more about um, just not wanting to be broke. Like I saw my dad lose his business and we got thrown out of our house, all this stuff. So it was coming from a place of fear and I, I, it worked, but like it was horrible. You know, it just felt horrible. And I learned that when you again, just realize like, who do I want to help? How can I serve the world? Then you wake up and you know, you're, it just feels more light. It feels good. I mean, it's still hard days. Mm -hmm. There's still challenges. Um, but when it's not about the money, it's easier for you. And I think it, people want to be around you. People want to buy from you when they realize you're there to help them. I mean, it's, it's a big distinction. No, I think that's great. And uh, I hope Ali uh, gets back to us at one point and tells yeah. us a bit more about what he's thinking. Because uh, I'm curious, you know, I want to want to see what he's up to. Hopefully his parents don't get back to us and say, why did you tell my kid to drop out of school? <laughs> but we didn't. We didn't. You told him to stay. Quick. I said, eh. <laughs> I think he can stay. <laughs> you can stay. Or, or honestly, if you want to make a ton of money, just go into computer science and then there you're you go. good. There you go. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to hear what we have next week? Yeah. What's coming up? Uh, we have Amy Morin, a psychoanalyst and best-selling author, and she's going to discuss her book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, Raising Self-Assured Children. Uh, we have Daisy Hernandez. Uh, she's the Global VP of Product Management for uh, SAP Jam and has held leadership roles at like Oracle and uh, Plumtree and like all these great big companies. Um, and she's going to discuss kind of millennials and whether or not, you know, we're truly this large different animal that everyone seems so concerned with. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then we have our Throwback Thursday, um, first one on the new schedule with Rory Vaden, who was our second episode, uh, where he discusses how to multiply your time, who doesn't love that, and have better meetings, which we love talking about. Yeah, it's a fun lineup. I mean, Rory's a rock star in, in terms of productivity, mm -hmm. and um, and there there's there aren't a lot that I, a lot of them out there that I agree with. He is one of them. Amy Morin, she was so fun. Um, she looks so young. I don't know how, what her age is. She's got these massively popular books and articles, and I Skype interview her, and she says, "Oh, sorry, if you can tell in the background, I'm on my houseboat down in the Keys." What, what a life, right? I know. And I, well, I said, you weren't down there for the hurricane, were you? And she says, no, no. She said, the boat was, but we weren't, and the boat was fine. And um, they were living, she and her husband were living up in Maine, and he always wanted to live on a houseboat. So they're like, okay, let's do that. So now they're living on a houseboat, currently parked down in, in the Florida Keys. Like, um, wow, that is awesome. And her internet like was great. Permanently? Like they're living there and that's it? Yeah. Yes. It wasn't like a vacation. This is, they live, this is their house, houseboat. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what I've heard. Now I'm not suggesting, <laughs> I'm not I suggesting this is like Amy's doing this, but like I've have heard from people that if you live on a houseboat and you like move around state to state and you park it way out in the water, you don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> because like, <laughs> because you, well, you're Canadian, you won't know the, the U.S. taxes, but like, most state taxes, like, God, if you live in California, the state tax is like 10%. But if you live on a houseboat and you sometimes are in California, but not that many days, and then you go up to Oregon and blah, 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 it's like you have no state residency. So you don't have to so pay like state taxes. It's like a modern pirate. Yeah. Well, and this is, and this is really bad, but I did meet someone. He's an extremely well-known, successful internet marketer, podcaster. And um, mm. one of the reasons why he moved to uh, Puerto Rico 
is because you don't pay uh, United States federal income tax if you're a Puerto wow. Rico resident. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of this, you know, uh, adventurous living out there, which mm -hmm. I, is easier when you don't have kids, not so easy when you got kids. But um, I think it's there's some tax benefit to it as well. So just extra boost. Very intriguing. You know, Terry, if this wasn't a live show, I would cut out everything I just said because I feel like I'm now saying that everybody no, that it. enjoys boating and living in Puerto Rico is a tax, you know, cheat or something. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I wish I could take it back. Uh, giving unsound criminal advice with Kevin know, Cruz. Like, I'm telling you how to avoid taxes. <laughs> anyway. So, it's still helpful. <laughs> um... <laughs> Friends, before we wrap up, don't forget to go to the leadx.org forward slash subscribe link to subscribe and rate the LeadX show on iTunes. It only takes a minute. It helps us to build the LeadX tribe. Go to leadx.org forward slash ask Kevin to submit your question for the show. Facebook friends, thank you so much for your comments. Josh, Matthew, Kauru, everybody, don't forget to hit like and share and like each other's comments. It's kind of like a way of doing a virtual high five to each other. Um, boy, these 38 minutes go fat, really fast, right? So much fun. So it much is fun. so much fun. It feels like it was five minutes. Right. So until next time, of course, I always leave you with the same reminder. Leadership is not a choice because leadership is influence. We are all leaders all of the time. Be mindful with your influence and lead with intent.